everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 146, All Good Things, recorded June 1st, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your... Um, Host, I was going to throw an adjective in there and just decided not to. Uh, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and with me, as always, are your friends and mine, Mr. Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Mr. Seth Gooey Kid Anderson. Hey, gentlemen. Howdy, howdy. Aloha, and welcome, everyone. I got to say, I don't, you I'm not one to uh, toot my own horn very often, but in this case, I'm going to because it's partly toot- tooting somebody else's horn. Last week's show with the Door to Door Geek was absolutely one of our best. It was fun. It was informative. Uh, it was enjoyable. I, we got to get that guy back. He should do a podcast. Wouldn't that be awesome he, if he did a show? You no, know he should. He should do that. <laughs> yeah, he would be a natural. Um, in case you didn't know, he does like 20 D, 20 D 11 podcast. He does lots of them. Uh, over on podnuts.com, you don't know that. So another free plug. So let's jump right into um, the randomness this week. I, yesterday, had a little dad's day out. You know, moms always have mom's day out. I decided yesterday I was going to claim a dad's day out. So I just left. <laughs> and I spent the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon by myself. And I went to a local, uh, one of those movie theater restaurant combination things, and saw X-Men Days of Future Past. And I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of it. Um, Thank you. It's a it's a solid, solid movie. I mean, like any action movie, there are times when you have to just turn off the the logic centers of your brain. Uh, there are a couple of times I found myself going, "Now wait a minute! Even in the Marvel universe, that's not possible." But you just have to you know, turn that off. Um, Magneto's powers were beyond even magneto's power right he's one of the one of the few class five mutants ever right he's one of the most powerful mutants in the world some of the stuff he did in this movie were in my opinion even beyond what he should be able to do but really um having said that the story was good um the uh the action was good um they acquitted themselves well i i even posted on facebook that they went a long way toward making up for x-men the last stand Oh, well, that's good. Now, that's high praise yeah. if they can make up for X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah, and, and I can't that, I can't tell you anything more about that because it would be a spoiler, but um, it there there are things directly related to that storyline that hmm. um, that well, maybe that was up. the whole. Yeah, that was the whole purpose of the movie was to go back in time and undo yes. X-Men The Last Stand. X-Men so. Days of Future Past, The Apology. Uh, I really think that's what this was. Uh, of course, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine was as jacked up as always. Um, we just pretended not to notice that he's 20 years older than he was back then. Because uh, in the in the movie, he projects back into his future, his past self. So they project his consciousness into his past body. And we were just supposed to not, not to notice that he'd aged a lot. We just <laughs> pretend that didn't happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, um, the second Tron is probably the best example of what CGI can do. And that was decent, but he still looked it a was little creepy. weird. It was creepy. It was definitely right in the middle of the Uncanny Valley. It's like you're, yeah. you're looking at me like, this is Jeff Bridges, but a creepy, not quite right Jeff Bridges. 
It was right, but for the purpose of the movie, it was it was good enough to be believable. Right. And but and by far better than any type of thing that has tried to come before it. So I mean, we're getting to the point to where they would be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. My complaint in this movie, uh, as in all movies, I can still tell the scenes that were designed entirely on the computer that you just haven't gotten to the point yet where you can replace humans with computers we're getting way better i mean every movie that i watch i'm impressed that it's better but still you can you can spot a scene oh that's a person oh that's a model oh, that's in the computer and it's just we're just not there yet and i wish people would stop pretending that we are there yet yeah it's close yeah they can do things really good but uh, not yet, people. Yeah, and and where when they really do them at their best is when the entire environment is CGI, like in uh, James Cameron's Avatar. When yeah. when you can CGI everything, you're able to fudge a little bit. But when you're trying to put digital characters into a a, a physical cityscape, or even a representation of a physical cityscape, those are things the human eye knows to look for. Um. Yeah. And it just, you know, it. We're still not there yet. I'm excited that we're as close as we've come, but you know, maybe someday we'll. What was that movie where where they the Simone, bad movie by the way, where where she created the perfect actress. It was all digital. Maybe someday we'll be there, but not yet. <laughs> well, and you know, that's going to be one of those things. I'm really excited with how far we've come in the short amount of time. I mean, just think three years ago how bad the CGI was. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's nice to see how far we've come in three years. What's the next three years going to do? Yeah, I remember um, watching uh, the Matrix, the second one, Matrix Two, where there's that whole scene. You you mean the last one? Yeah, yes, the final <laughs> installment, uh, where there's that whole scene of. Uh, actually, it may have been the terrible third one. Now that I think about it, which was the one where Agent Smith replicated? Was that two or three? That was three. Um, that yeah, was that, was that was the ending. I'm sorry. Um, well, so if there was that one where it was all the the Agent Smiths and the Neo, and it was everything was computer generated. Take this was ninety three or four. I mean, this was way back there. Um, no, uh, that was like oh four or five. Uh, it couldn't have been that far the- back, was it? Uh, that's right, because Matrix was like ninety nine. Yeah, so yeah. it would have had to been oh two oh three somewhere around there. Anyway, it was so bad. Then and even watching it, you know, because bullet time, like in the original Matrix, they had done that really well. It was obviously faked, but it was faked well. And then, and when you get to that scene where it's where it's the thousands of Agent Smiths. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen the twelve-year-old movie now, <laughs> sorry, I ruined it for you. Um, it was uh, there's there's got to be a statute of limitations on spoilers. I mean, surely after a decade, it's okay. I think five years. It should yeah. be. Uh flagged as okay i would think like six months because no no it's a little too early because you remember up here in Mon- oh in okay southern six Canada. months after they get to chris or two years <laughs> after dvd there what you go saying? there you go I, I think once they've hit dvd that's my rule once they've hit dvd yeah. it's okay or netflix yeah, yeah. N- netflix or dvd i think after that point spoilers should be okay because i should be able to come on and say that rosebud's a sled Right. If you don't know that, that's your problem, not mine. And um, you've missed a lot of references over the years. <laughs> right. But there are things like uh, Fight Club. I didn't yep. see that movie till like a decade later. Um, oh, and it had been spoiled one. for me, right? So you would say it had been spoiled for But no, no. Knowing the secret, watching it, 
then you can see all the tricks and all the cues and all the things that you missed if you didn't know. Yep. So I think it enhances things in some ways. And see, I'm even carefully not telling you what the ending is, just in case there's one person that hasn't seen that 15-year-old movie. I and like, like uh, the movie Sixth Sense. Yeah, yeah. Af- oh. After knowing it, you want to see it again because yeah. then you're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Or A Beautiful uh, Mind, so yeah. another one. Once you know it, once the reveal hits, you want to go back and look at all the clues that you missed. Right. Speaking of Fight Club, though, I, my, one of my favorite little Easter eggs about that movie, it's just nobody knew about it in my circle of friends until I pointed it out, where they jump-cutted uh, Brad Pitt into some of the scenes where it's like a splice where he's only there for a half a second and then he's gone. Interesting. Did you not know about that? No. Oh yeah, no. there's a there's about I think 6 or 12 6 to 9 different scenes where remember in the movie where he's talking about when he's working the movie theater and he splices things into the movie? Yeah. They did that with Brad Pitt. And so if you're watching, you can catch it and you'll just barely catch a glimpse of him and he's gone. But it's, it's a, it's a, it's a splicing is what they did. And it's absolutely phenomenal when you can catch him. Somebody did a a YouTube video a while back where they removed Tyler Durden from the film and they, they only did like a scene, but uh, there was a interest in doing the whole film that way and just show, just digitally removing him and showing every scene that he was in without him. Um, and the, the couple of scenes that are on YouTube are pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah. Seeing it through that his eyes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. spoilers. We really about. need, yeah, we really need to do the old, uh, the old movies, uh, review podcast. It, it, re- it needs to happen. We need to find the time to make it happen. Uh, what need, what hit did happen? What is happening? What is happening in record time is reading rainbow is coming back. Um. Wow. Uh, Will uh, Jordy LaForge? <laughs> what's his name? Lavar Burton. Lavar Burton uh, put up a a Kickstarter and said we want to bring Reading Rainbow back, not to public television, but to uh, our own thing, a web series or something like that. And he said we need a million dollars to get started. Less than twenty hours, he had a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Their their current stretch goal is five million, and the 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 bet is. When does it reach five million? Um, and yeah, some of the little perks right now with thirty days to go. Yeah, some of the perks on there are pretty cool. Um, I I don't remember the the uh, amount, but for one of them, he will actually record your um your voicemail greeting. You can have <laughs> awesome. a private dinner with him. Uh, you can do a meet and greet at Comic Con or some other. Uh, thing like that um, there's some pretty neat perks in there and you should go the link will be in the show notes you should go and watch the video because it's it's kind of humorous if, if you're a geek and if you're listening to this show you probably are familiar with geek culture and at least star trek the next generation it's it's kind of funny at the end yeah so the 50 dollar reward you get a t-shirt um and uh a tote bag or a coffee mug, uh, which is, you know, that's the first one where you really get anything cool. The others are, you get a tweet from him and things like that. But right. um, what I saw a video of LeVar Burton re- responding to it when he hit the million dollars. Um, and he was, he was blown away by the, the, the $5 and $10 people. He's like, you know, it's, 
a million dollars. It took two hundred thousand people donating five bucks to get that. And uh, right, um, I, I I'm too old for reading Rainbow. It wasn't a big part of my life, but I understand that it did there for the younger generation. It was really a big thing. Yeah, I I caught some of the episodes. It was it started in '83, so I was like we were like 11 when it um, when it came out, and it's not something I tuned in every time. But I saw a couple of the episodes, and and whenever uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation started, Patrick Stewart, I go, hey, he's the guy from Dune, and then Lavar Burton, <laughs> I went, he's the guy from Reading Rainbow. Uh, those were like the only two I had ever heard of before the show started. Uh, so. I remembered Patrick Stewart from Excalibur. That was my, when I saw him, oh, I know that guy. He was one of the knights from Excalibur. Ah. And uh, I was more into medieval stuff than I would like to admit when I was in middle <laughs> school. And I watched that movie. And I went, because Guinevere got naked, too. I mean, you know, what more well, do you need? You know, you don't have to explain. We all know that, Mark. <laughs> Um, I mean, it had everything you need. It had Lancelot and a naked chick, and I was 15. Nope, yeah, I mean, okay. what more do you need? Right. Yeah. Really, you don't even need Lancelot. Come that's, on, that's when you're 15. Point. Yeah. Porky's anyone? Uh, <laughs> um, oh, my God. That movie was awesome. I'm sorry, it was an awesome movie, and it holds Damn. up well. Um, so... Uh, I, yeah, I'm afraid we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, my friend. I thought it was a terrible movie then. I think yeah. it's a terrible movie now. It had lots of boobs. That was about it. I, some of the scenes were hilarious. Like when they're in the office and she's trying to explain what happened and the guys are just dying laughing in the background. It's that, that scene is still hilarious yeah. to me, but I guess I have a lower threshold of humor. <laughs> Than you well, do, you know. So. <laughs> it, it takes all kinds. Uh, and, and then the next thing I want to talk about is because Seth brought it up. I, I, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the show before. I actively avoid hype. When I see things going viral, I avoid them. I've never seen a Harlem Shake because I don't. I, I don't want to be a part of the masses. I don't want to be a sheep. Uh, I never watched the stupid Coney 2012 or 2010 or whatever it was video. Um, and another thing I've not seen is this hi uh, solar highway thing that is all over social media. And Seth was asking me about it. And I said, well, let's let's talk about it on the show because I'm, I'm antithetical to it because of the hype. I don't believe it. I, I don't care what it is. It's so hyped. It has, it can't be real. Yeah. Well, actually, um, there's an Indiegogo project on for solar hype and the title solar hype, solar highway or, or yeah, on for the solar <laughs> highway. And the, the title of the article that I came across was solar roadway breaks or backers set crowdfunding record, which this is an incorrect highlight because reading rainbow thrash these guys. Uh, no problem. <laughs> yeah. That's but, the thing about records. They fall quickly sometimes. Yes. But anyway, and the guy who does it, he's like an engineer and this is his field. So, um, he has this dream to kind of solve all of America's energy problems. And the way to do it is to repave all of the roads, get rid of asphalt, asphalt and repave them with solar panels that, um, and they, you know, he's developed this glass and it uses recycled material that will, um, that can stand up. Uh, so he says, and he has a prototype. He has like a solar panel driveway 
um, and it's working. And what he's trying to do now is figure out how to mass produce it. So that's what the purpose of the, uh, the crowdsourcing is for is to get the funds to be able to streamline manufacturing and work out the bugs that come along with mass production. Um, and so, you know, I, I watched the video and after the video, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. We need to never make another thing of asphalt. But then I did a little bit of research and studied it. And, you know, and of course, not everybody who saw, saw it, you know, just instantly fell in love with it. And there's some very critical shortcomings that the uh, video doesn't address and that it just kind of glosses over. But it's, I, I just, I thought it was an interesting thing and it's definitely thinking outside of the box, but um, I don't know, solar, uh, replacing the highway with solar panels, you know, it would do many things, you know, imagine never having to uh, shovel your sidewalk or drive over snow, Again, uh, because they would be able to take the solar, uh, pan, they would take the solar energy and convert it to heat and, you know, melt the snow on top of them. And then, you know, but anyway, it all was right, just right. an interesting thing. Here's, I have to call BS on this. Okay. okay. Unless this is a totally new type of solar panel technology that I just don't know anything about. The current most efficient solar panels are like 17% efficient. 83% of the, the energy that hits it is lost. I would argue that asphalt has a higher heat conversion rate than that. So if if asphalt can't reflect solar energy enough to melt snow, how are these solar panels going to do it with only 17% of that energy being available? Yeah, again, I don't know um and I you guess know, if you're the talking- whole interstate system is one system, it's always sunny somewhere. Right. Yeah. I, I guess right. if you if you look at it that way, it's a single massive system grid. It's yeah. a full grid, you know. It's its own power grid. But yeah, I, I saw this a couple of times, and I'm I'm kind of poo pooing at least for up in my neck of the woods because uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know how cold it gets in his neck of the woods, but I'm sure Montana's winters could probably crack that thing like a bad right yeah and, uh, solar panels tend to be uh finicky with with temperature changes with heat and cold and and you know 20 ton trucks driving across them uh, again you said this is a prototype maybe he's worked out those bugs but also what about here's here's something to think about i bet you've never thought about before so you buy a set of tires with like two inches of tread on them and uh 60, miles later you replace them because they have no tread left. Where did those two inches of rubber go? They're on the road. Yep. There's definitely there's yeah. thousands, millions of cars depositing two inches of rubber every couple of years. That's all on the road. And how are you going to keep a solar panel clean in that? How are you going to keep it, if even at the crappy 17% efficiency, how are you going to keep it even that efficient? Yeah, and that's one of the things I have with it is how do you clean the road? Because... You know, it's easy when you have a uh, driveway, you know, this little section that you can kind of just clean, uh, you know, with the water hose or whatever. But how are you going to keep the road clean? And that's something that they don't talk about at all uh, in this. And that's, you know, it's one of the things that makes me go, 
you know, I don't understand how they would do that. There's nothing on the page that talks about it. You know, the page is a lot of, wouldn't it be great if this, and wouldn't it be great if that, and there's things on there, they show, um, what this, they have, uh, heating coils built into the panels. So, uh, you know, they're able to regulate against the cold that way. Um, but so, you know, it shows this one row without the coils turned on and it's all covered with snow and this one right beside it that is turned on. And of course there's no snow on it. So I'm willing to take them at their word that that isn't just staged for photography. But again, what happens when it gets dirty and, you know, snow might be pure, but you got all the slush and muck yeah. that comes along with it. But supposedly the, um, it can withstand up to 250,000 pounds. So I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I know there's glass and maybe not gra- glass, but acrylic and other, uh, what's the word? Not translucent or totally translucent things that can, that are strong enough. But again, I don't know how you're able to manufacture that on scale. And I don't know how we would be able to roll this out because it would be super, super expensive. Yeah. They estimate um, like twice the amount of Ameri- of the U.S. debt is what it would require to totally <laughs> pave over the entire road system in America. But of course, you know the the once that uh, economies of scale sort themselves out, once right. that decided to be done, it might start out really expensive, but it would end pretty cheap. Yeah, right. And but and you know, and of course, the other thing is, once you start doing it, then theoretically you're saving money on electricity. Right. Uh, so, you know, yes, it costs money to do this, but then, you know, you, but you're also saving money. So, uh, you know, just not talking about the finances, there's other things like, um, you know, and they talk about in here how you can automatically configure road signs to, uh, you know, uh, accident ahead, slow down. You can, auto- instead of having to pave parking lots, you can just adjust a program, But then, you know, you can hack the road system to say detour ahead and, you know, and, you know, interstate close exit now. And, oh, look, there's a uh, 24 hour place here. Because it would just be like unencrypted Bluetooth. They just throw that in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just stuff like that, that, you know, again, it doesn't address. There's a lot of stuff it doesn't address, but I think the concept is cool. Yeah, I think it'd be cooler though to see if they actually get, um, the, if they can use that technology to make all the windows down south, you know, thermal windows so you could suck the, you know, the sun off of your, just your tall skyscraper windows. You know, that would help too. And if we're going to go, you know, we're going to absorb solar power, you know, roads are cool, but there's a whole lot more surface area on a big skyscraper with windows that face the sun too. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of a story I read about a building. I believe it's in London that has a concave structure to it. And they were, uh, they paved it with glass, obviously for windows and, uh, found that that a certain type of time of day, the, the building acted like a, a magnifying lens and cars parked in certain spots across the building would actually melt. Like the plastic on the cars would melt and the paint would bubble and the tires would smoke. Nice. 
Nice. I remember that story. Yeah. It was really cool. There was a video where the, uh, you know, and yeah, there, there's certain lot, there's certain spaces on the street that are like no parking and this crew was out there showing what happened and it was, it was kind of cool in a, in a freaky kind of way. Unintended yeah. consequences. <laughs> yes. Could you imagine, uh, why, why are you claiming your car on your insurance? It melted in the street. <laughs> Spontaneous combustion. Okay, so uh, I I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. It, I again, I am predisposed to disbelieve it just because of the hype it got. Um, but then again, you know, Kung Fury was worth every bit of the hype, so you never know. Um, we've <laughs> It'll got be a- nice to see what happens. Let's just put it that way. It'll yes. be nice to see what happens. We've got a good bit of listener feedback. In fact, what we have in the show tonight is not all of it. Thanks for that. Keep it coming. Uh, if I haven't gotten to your letter yet, I will um, in in due time. So let's jump straight into that. Kirk, who uh, we talked to or listened to last week, uh, has a response saying, yes, please. Says, thanks, guys, for responding to my question in EDL 145. And my apologies for correcting Arthur C. Clock. Clark quote when you guys had already done so. Don't worry about it. People correct us all the time. It's fine. Uh, Chris, some simple bash scripts to encrypt a pen drive would be much appreciated. It doesn't have to be cross-platform as I use Linux and SIGWIN. Thanks again. So okay. you said if you wanted to know to let you know, he has let you know. I will look him up and put him up in either the forums or uh, in a future episode. Um, it's not going to be something we can easily give out verbally, yeah. so it'll have to be either a forum post or um, coming out of the show notes. Perfect. All right, moving on. Chris uh, asks about DVD ripping. He says, hey, guys, I guess this question is directed a little more towards Mark, since he's mentioned that he's in the process of re-ripping his DVD collection. I know there's an older episode that covers this topic, but I was wondering what you might be willing to, if you might be willing to do an updated 2014 version. What software are you using to rip your collection? Are you ripping in Linux or Windows? Do you use one piece of software to rip and re-encode, or do you use multiple programs to do the job? Here's my situation. I have a mixture of devices in my house, Win 7, Win 8, Linux, iOS, Android, and most importantly for this discussion, a Roku. I want to rip my collection and have it easily accessible through the Plex app on my TV. Lastly, I want to say thank you. I find your show entertaining and even sometimes educational. Uh, I throw it on the top of my playlist as soon as it uh, downloads. Keep up the good work, Chris. It's nice that we're occasionally uh, educational. Um, hate uh, Hate to move that needle too far toward the side of education um but we i try can, though i can answer yeah, the we, question you talked about unattended consequences <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah if you, you might accidentally learn something um i primarily uh this time around and actually the first time i did it now that i think about it uh did all my ripping in linux using handbrake uh handbrake is uh it's been around for a long time um it's yep. linux and windows in windows it doesn't decrypt drives in fact in linux it doesn't decrypt drives either but if you install uh something like linux mint that has it built in or if you've got something else and do the the live c uh live cd dvd css mm-hmm. uh, google it it's easy to find that will make your machine just sort of rip things uh, de- decrypt things automatically um yep. so handbrake plugged into my external drive just goes some of the newer stuff handbrake struggles with um, when I run into one of those, I, I make a copy of it using Bracero, which is the built-in for, for Mint and I think Ubuntu as well, uh, CD burning thing. And I just make an, an ISO of it and then um, 
feed that ISO to handbrake. I have only, out of the 300 plus I did, maybe five of them I had to do that to. And then some of them, particularly the Disney ones, just neither of those tools can do it. So I take those over to my Windows box and use um, DVD Fab. Uh, you can Google that. DVD yep. Fab has never let me down. Um, uh, it's a it's a pre a freemium model. the The basic make an image uh, of your CD is free and will always be free. But you can also it has other features. It'll do the transcoding and converting t- for you um, if you pay for those modules. But you can just get the free version of a DVD Fab. Um, and it will always make a, a copy to your hard drive, either to an ISO file or just dump the the things to your hard drive. And I've never found something that it couldn't fix. A uh, couple of over the years, one onesie twosies. I remember uh, the new the remake of True Grit. I couldn't rip with anything, and I went and downloaded the latest beta version of DVD Fab, and they had fixed it in that. So there, um, one of the I, I actually appreciate this model when there's a popular movie like that. They'll put that in the the paid version and wait 30 days to put it in the free versions. So you can just wait it out for free, or you can pay a subscription and always get the new versions when they come out. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable, actually. It's a subscription, I think, 50 bucks a year. Um, so you can either wait it out or or fork up something. But it's it's those that combination of tools has never let me down. So in uh, when I have to go in Windows, I rip it to an ISO and then feed it again to Handbrake. Handbrake is what does everything uh, for of my transcoding. And I just save them to plain old MP4s, and everything reads an MP4. An iOS Which, device, you might need to call that MP4 an M4V. Same encoding, same thing. You just change the file name extension to get an iPhone to read it. Uh, Mark, which is the DVD one, the, or the DVD fab that's the free one? The, they're they're all free. The, you, you grab oh, any okay. one of them, and you'll get a trial version for where you can try all the features for 30 days, and then after a while, everything times out but the the DVD copying. Ah, okay. Because I've, I've been doing my collection. I've ran into a few. Um, I, I'm a Linux-only guy for about 99% of the time, um, but some of the DVDs that I had and the Blu-rays that I'm trying to do too um, just choke in Linux. But so I've been over in Windows using um, the HD version of any DVD, and that seemed to do almost everything without too much of a hiccup. So, um, but I did run across I think three that I haven't been able to do yet. Have you tried uh, Black Lab Linux for those Blu-rays to see if it does anything better? I haven't tried Black Lab yet. No, that's that's my next step is to see if because right now um, in my big monster gaming rig, when I do a Blu-ray, it's like four hours yeah. to do it so and i just don't know if that's my 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 rig or just the drive itself or, or where my slowdown is because a dvd goes off in about 15 minutes i don't do any um uh blu-rays i don't see the value of it uh, i don't even buy i mean i have a couple of them but for the most part i buy dvd an upset scamp sample of a dvd to 1080p looks great and I just don't see the benefit of quadrupling the file size. I just I, I'm not sold on Blu-ray. Well, there I got them as because I couldn't find DVD copies right of them anymore. So yeah, and a lot of things now you have to buy the DVD combo pack to get yep. to to get you have to buy the Blu-ray DVD to get a DVD at all, and usually it's more expensive. 
um, because they're trying to push because Blu-ray is is better encrypted. They're trying to push that not for the better features. Yeah, they can charge more for it. Yeah. That's all they care about. And if you're hearing that hiss in the background, uh, somebody is drawing a bath in the bathroom above me, and that's the sound of the water running through the pipes. Uh, nice. To podcasting from the basement. Um, uh, Chris, uh, excuse me, Kevin writes in with a suggestion about Patreon. Says, just dropping the suggestion to you, I'm seeing more and more podcasters go to Patreon to allow their listeners to set up monthly funding for what they do. Now, I know you might not think this is necessary in light of your sponsorship, but what if you could make some decent coin just by allowing a listener to pay a buck a month or something? Uh, some people have thousands of listeners, and I can't imagine your listener base to be small at all based on the format of your show. I, for one, look forward to your shows and appreciate that you value audio quality over file size. Ironic that there's a hiss going on while I read that line. Uh, easier on the ears for sure. So just a suggestion, keep doing what you do. Kevin, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Thanks, Kevin, uh, for your feedback. I, I'm familiar with Patreon. Patreon is basically uh, a subscriber model where... Um, you decide to pay X amount per show up to X amount total. So you can say, I'll pay $5 a show not to exceed $20 a month. So if we go crazy and knock out 15 shows in a month, you're not going to get a a big overpay thing. It's a good model. I think it's a good idea. I haven't gone that way for no particular reason. I just... We, we have a tip jar on our website where you can uh, use PayPal to send me a recurring donation of a buck or, t- or five or one-time donation. And that's so seldom used, uh, it kind of made me think that Patreon might not be worth the, worth the hassle. But I'll, you know, I'll pose it to the audience. What do you think? Um, this is, I'm not being mean here, I'm just facing reality. This is the type of show with the type of audience that doesn't pay for things. Uh, so I just, I don't expect that I'm going to get uh, much response on a Patreon if I do it. So audience, what do you think? Guys, what do you think? So, okay, I'm. does that mean that you have to pay in order to get anything? No, no. Or, okay. it's, uh, the way it is is you, you set up an account with Patreon, you dial in your preferences, and every time we do a show, they charge your credit card. And you can put any amount, you can put a penny on there. You can put a hundred bucks on it. It's entirely up to you. Hmm. So we release a show through Patreon. They charge the credit card. Um, And uh, the, the idea is that you have special content just for Patreon members. You know, it's kind of a Kickstarter model and then you get more. uh, Maybe you release things two days sooner on Patreon and, and then release it later on your regular RSS feed. You know, there's different models of doing it. But uh, the idea, it's just a residual payment. The idea, the the benefit from a podcaster standpoint is somebody f- will do it and forget to turn it off. And and I kind of think that's kind of sleazy in some ways, but it's the reality mm-hmm. of it. That's what you're depending on. You're depending on people forgetting to turn it off. Right. Yeah. Because most people don't question anything up to like $10. Yeah. Uh, that's um, on their on their statements, whether it be bank statements or credit cards, they just assume that, oh, yeah, you know, that's that uh, latte frappuccino crap I got at Starbucks or something. So I think those are the exact words they use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't particularly like that type of a model. I mean, I understand it. Um, but I, I think, you know, with the tip jar and the fact that they can, you know, set up an automatic payment anyway through PayPal. I don't see why we need to, to look at Patreon, especially with the added overhead for Mark. Um, 
That's just the way I look yeah. at it, though. I don't, I don't. I haven't even looked into what's in what's involved, but I know you have to notify Patreon that you've got a show out. Maybe it's just a special RS, RSS feed. I don't know. It's just not something I've looked into. It's it's not new, but it's newly becoming very popular. One of the one of my favorite shows that I listen to, Cord Killers, uh, the formerly uh, of the Twit Network, uh, Brian Brushwood and Tom Merritt. Um, they they are Patreon subscribers. They have like seventeen hundred Patreon subscribers. So if each one of those picks in a kicks in a buck, they're making two thousand dollars a week. Um, so that's uh you know that's that's a darn nice uh, thing if you can get it. Uh, and if if I were relatively confident that you know even half of our audience would do that, I would jump on it. But I just I just don't think you will. Again, I'm not being mean. I'm just facing the reality. Uh, Linux people, open source people don't pay for stuff, and. Yeah. Um, they they demand content for free. I make this content available for free. So if I'm going to offer a free version and a paid version, they're always going to go for the free version, and I'm never going to charge for it. I just I refuse. I I just I'm never going to do that. Um, you know, it goes you know what, against think, the tightwad tech yeah. uh, ethos <laughs> of the uh, origins of the show. You know, I think we should do put it to the the listeners. Listeners, if you guys want something like that, you know, um, start tipping. You know. Set up some tips and, and say that tipping, so we can start a pay, the patriot or Patreon thing. Um, you know, pay, show us that you want it, and we'll look into it a little bit harder. But right now, you know, we're doing this because we love it, not because we're looking to make coin. And you know, we were just talking earlier about uh, the movie podcast, and, and Seth and I have often talked about doing a, a political type podcast. If we were making money we would be able to do more shows and that's that's what patreon is all about it's 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 a takeoff of the word patron somebody who supports the arts um if we had more money coming in we wouldn't have to to focus as much on other jobs if if i could make the same money i'm making now working uh you know my nine to fiver who am i kidding my seven to sixer um uh, then i would totally do that i would stop i would do this full time but a handful of people do that. You know, if I had one fifth of the audience that Leo has, I could, I could be a full-time podcaster, but I don't. And doing a niche show like this, I don't think I ever will. I'm okay with that. It just is what it is. This is always going to be a hobby that we hope brings in enough money to pay the bills. And so far you're doing that. You're, you're paying, uh, uh, you know, with the Linux Academy sponsorship and the few, uh, very few uh, t- um, tips I get in and your Amazon, using the Amazon link, enough money comes in that I can pay for server hosting, I can pay for man with, and I can buy new equipment when I need to. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy the w- with the way things are. Would I like to make more money? Of course I would. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I would much rather put that is a voluntary thing than try to trick you into signing up once and forgetting about it. Right, exactly. Um, it's more about the it's more about you our audience than our pocketbooks so yeah okay so good discussion and let me know what you think if uh i could turn it around kevin um if if you want to do that how come you're not already paying a certain amount every month i mean you you could you have that option and again i'm not i'm not, not mad at you I'm just explaining the the way things the way I see things. If people wanted to give me money, they would already be doing it. It's not that there's a lack of ways for them to. Okay. 
enough anyway. about that. And I don't, I don't need your money. I, I like it. I don't need it. <laughs> this show will continue. Uh, so don't feel like I'm trying to pressure you into donating. I, I always feel a little dirty when I even talk about money on the show. But, you know, facts is facts. This ain't free. Um, and, and I appreciate the fact that you guys are covering my expenses. Uh, next up, Alex weighs in on SQL slash SQL. says, hi, guys. A little bit ago, I remember you guys were discussing the correct pronunciation of SQL. It came up at work today, and according to the Wikipedia page, and if you can't trust strangers on the Internet, who can you trust? The original spelling was S-E-Q-U-E-L, SQL, coming out of IBM. It stood for Structured English, English Query Language. They had to change the name because SQL was the name of an aircraft company. And uh, there's the link to uh, the sequel history that I'll put in the page. I just thought I would mention. Anyway, thanks for the content. As always, you guys are awesome, Alex. So uh, there you go. Uh, I forget who uh, who wrote that in uh, previously. Apparently, sequel was the original. Um, and like so many things, they they got a, a takedown, a cease and desist, and they had to change the name. And now you know, because knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, lots of things are half the battle, Losing <laughs> except for fighting. Battle. That seems to be all the battles. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, there's a reason, I guess, that I have never heard it called SQL. I always hear it called SQL, and that's because that was the original name. Like, like the original, the, my Fog project that I love so much may or may not have originally been called Free and Open Ghost, and they may or may not have received a, a cease and desist from the company that may or may not own the Ghost <laughs> trademark. <laughs> Um, and so, wink, wink, you know, <laughs> so it sounds like sequel, uh, SQL had the same sort of thing happen. And this last one from Kevin, I will present without comment. The subject line, finally, the Sultan steps up, it says greetings, Mark, Chris, and Seth, please allow a brief history and a heartfelt thank you before I get to the meat of this note. I've been a listener since EDL evolved out of the Tightwad tech. Uh, I found the, excuse me, I found the Tightwad tech when I first started playing with Linux as a brand newbie and thought the top, and though the topics were often over my head, I always found it interesting and it kept me coming back. Please keep EDL coming. Next. Thank you. You kindly addressed my request for input on my search for a new laptop, which branched out into a discussion on SD drives, which truly helped me make a decision on what to purchase. With an unexpected project bonus, I elected to buy a System76 Galago Ultra Pro with a 240-gig SD drive. All in all, the laptop is an excellent piece of equipment with a few exceptions. (laughs) I would love to detail what I've done with it and and what it does, but no one really cares, nor should they. Now to the meat, and I do not speak of bacon here. While the word finally is used in the subject line, it's not exactly accurate. What I mean is finally with some regularity, the Sultan of the Soapbox has taken to his rickety podium and given us a good, solid rant. (laughs) I'm an admitted podcastaholic, and I look for and listen to those that have intelligent and eloquent presenters. Clearly, Mark has an above-average intellect, excellent command of language, and even a mellifluous voice to complete the delivery. With that set of tools and skills, he is well prepared to take his place on the soapbox. I've heard Mark apologize for ranting, heard him read complaints about one rant or another, and in other words, heard attempts to sidestep or somehow mitigate the possible repercussions of a rant. To that, I say, fah. One such as Mark 
who has the intellect, the voice, and a little cocky swagger, he is expected, nay, obligated, to stand forth, to deny, denounce, and dismiss the derelict diatribes of the disagreeable, dissenting, double-talking dissemblers, and to debate, declaim, and declare to all decent and right-thinking people the truth, the way, and the light that is Linux and productive progress. Sultan, stand forth! And while I like the alliteration of Mark's moniker, the Sultan of the Soapbox, I think it's unnecessary to assign such a name beyond his own. All that is needed is a slight change of emphasis, and we have all that is needed. Mark Cockrell, Linux's big swinging d- <laughs> Mount your podium and proclaim sense, justice, and the way forward. <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say. That, that, that kind of... Wow. Now, Mark, you're not supposed to go around making aliases on the internet. <laughs> It does sound like something I would write, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, actually. I laughed out loud when I read that, and I read it to my wife, and she laughed out loud. So uh, thank you for that, um, Kevin, I think it was. Yeah. Yes. Kevin. Uh, and uh, we appreciate Mark. it, and I, I <laughs> would consider it inappropriate to comment on it further. Thank you for your kind words. I think well, they were good. Kind. That's a good one, Kevin. I like the... Um, I like the thought you put into that. You know, I mean, you know, you obviously spent some time con- uh, composing the email after you made your thoughts. Uh, so I appreciate that. You did a good job. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> I, d- I don't know how to follow that. I'm certainly not going to jump into an ad. So let's go uh, to uh, some tech news. Some Australian dev- Apple devices were hacked. A very <laughs> small number of them. Yes, this is, um, basically what happened was people's, um, uh, they would wake up and it, it seemed to all happen about the same time. They got up that said, um, you know, and their device was hacked by Oleg Pliss. Uh, and it was a thing. There was like a message, you know, to, you know, deposit so and so money. So, um, basically it was, capitalizing on the ransomware that is um you know going around the news coverage somebody did this to apple devices and um you know i can't remember the name of apple's service um that they have where you can lock a phone basically um you know or, or remotely wipe or something yeah, it's but the, yeah it's like the find iCloud. my phone thing find yeah. my phone yeah. yeah they do it through iCloud but there's a there's a specific name for it but anyway um and it come to find out there was a follow-up story and we'll put the link to both of them in the show notes where it wasn't so much that there was a vulnerability in Apple. And of course, you know, Apple is all about openness and upfront computing. So you can trust everything they say in the matter. Um, we especially, it only took them like three or four days to admit that this actually happened. So they're definitely making strides over there. Um, Apparently what happened is people were using password or something stupid has right. their password or no password pass- at all. Yeah. And it was their passwords got hacked and, um, you know, it, it kind of amplifies the need for security, but what happens when the bad guys get the keys? So, um, you know, all you had to do was like, you could go in and you could contact Apple and get it taken care of. But it, so it seems like it wasn't the ransomware that this, you know, when it first broke, that was kind of like the, the thoughts around, um, that, you know, it's just kind of like crypto locker, but now it's on Apple too. It wasn't that it was, it was 
for, you know, if I were just looking at what happened, um, it's probably somebody ran a script or something on the website. You know, they had a list of, of names of Apple IDs and they just ran a script against them with like a, a, a dictionary attack and, you know, were able to break into some of them. Uh, it's probably what happened because it was primarily Australia, but there was also some uh, in New Zealand, Canada, and even just a couple in the United States. But so it seems to be locally, um, whereas if it was like Apple wide, you would expect it to target somewhere, you know, America that has a very large Apple presence. But then again, maybe this is just a proof of concept thing. Uh, they know they can do it. And next time it'll be far more deadlier and sinister. It's hard to say, but I think it's funny that it's an Apple device is what's got compromised. That just yeah. makes me chuckle. At, uh, well, a little bit. You know, if Seth's um, impression of this is accurate, and, and it's the way I interpret it too, this could be anything. Anybody with a bad password and a common username, yeah, um, you know, could get hacked anywhere. Apple's Find My iPhone just happens to let you lock it out. Well, Android does too. Um, you know, and and they could either, I mean, assuming they synced their phone recently, they could just wipe it out and start over, or deal with Apple and get it unlocked. I'm sure nobody. Well, it, you know, from what I heard, the the address, the 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 PayPal address that you were supposed to send a hundred dollars to didn't even exist. Yeah, um, you and, couldn't send a hundred dollars to it if any if you wanted to. So you know, the the people, the person who did this, uh, weren't actually interested in making any money. It was just uh, probably, a or it was stuff. a typo in the script. It could be, you know, it could have been, you know, they put one too many S's or something in there. And, uh, you know, I wonder if there's some derivative of that that is a recently set up PayPal. If I were like a, a cyber sleuth, I would look at the, um, I would look at the address that was listed to send the hundred dollars to and I would search for one off derivative derivatives of that and see if you could figure out when a PayPal account was. Uh, opened and then that might give you some background into you know where the attack came from well and the other thing is i thought i heard something about that's a uh the name oleg pliss is an actual developer for the yeah, ipad he's a real guy yeah but why would he, someone it, well obviously it's a misdirection there but you know it's it just reeks of either a botched attempt or uh, of something really bad or it's a um, a, you know, soon to happen in a wider scale, and this was just a trial run. Yeah, I think I think he got. I think whoever did this got a hold of a list of Apple accounts somehow. Um, you know, and somewhere and something kind of based in Australia because that's where the overwhelming majority was, and then ran. Like I say, I think they just ran a, a, a dictionary attack against those accounts on um, iCloud or Find My Phone or, or whatever service they were using. And, you know, the simple ones got it because, you know, especially, you know, they're still in the in the public mindset that apples are invulnerable and you don't really need to worry about security. So you can just make password like, haha, windows suck or something like that. Or, you know, I'm an invulnerable Apple user. Um, and that's all you need. So, you know, you need this, the same security practices you need for windows, you need for, uh, Apple and Linux as well. All right. Moving right along. 
uh, to uh, a story that is always near and dear to our command line godfather. Steam is delaying their release of their Steam boxes uh, till 2015, uh, ostensibly to get the controller right. So this is a quality-driven delay. Yeah, and that's what I'm reading too. Um, it's mainly, I would guess it's the biggest push is a quality push. The second push is probably to get more, uh, dedicated AAA games to sign into the idea of developing for Linux. Cause right now the biggest push for the Linux, you know, it's a lot of indie games are in the Steam OS group, not very many AAA games. Um, and so I'm sure they're trying to get more dedicated AAA titles before the official launch. Um, I don't know if that's going to stop the SteamOS project from launching its, its, the ISOs by, um, before this, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And also, you know, just on the idea of delayment, it also gives the Steam guys some time to get the OpenGL systems to be a little more optimized. And so they run a little more proficient. Um, even though right now, the last time I checked, OpenGL smokes most of the uh, DirectX benchmarks. So, Yeah, but it also gives a chance for all the other consoles to be that much more firmly established, thus limiting the potential market for Steam. Because, you know, you've got the, what is it, the Oya, Wii, or, or Ouya. Ouya. Um, the Android one, you know, mm-hmm. um, Microsoft. PlayStation 4, uh, Nintendo, and then there's a, there's a lot of other Android ones out there as well. So, you know, coming out kind of, if they would have been released now, then you, you know, the PS4 and the Microsoft Xbox Superior, whatever it's called, I forget, you know, it's kind of launched at the same time, but now you're putting that much more gap and it kind of reduces the Steam console. So I think they need to, uh, I think they need to get it out there uh, sooner rather than later. There comes a point to where, you know, if if you're going to keep waiting, you're going to wait yourself out of the market. Right. But if the, the other point is, is Steam has never been known to release, you know, like look at all of Valve's games. So, you know, like Half-Life has been delayed and delayed and delayed until... Absolutely, it's it till somebody rubber stamps and says, "Yeah, it's ready to go." So they've been notorious about delaying projects. Um, so I think that has a lot of a lot to do with it. They want the controller to be perfect before they release it, um, and I think a lot of it might be the whole idea that maybe. OpenGL just isn't where they want it to be yet. And so they're waiting for some OpenGL. Maybe there's some pipeline stuff that we don't know about in OpenGL that hasn't hit, you know, major distros yet, but is piped to be, you know, hit this late summer and then will be, um, rock solid by the time the Steam box is released. So yeah, nobody's actually clamoring for this device. There's not a backlog of people saying, I want a Steam box. Uh, people, you know, Steam works on Linux uh, in Wine. Steam works in, on Windows. Steam works all over the place. People who want Steam have Steam. I, I think it's better to to release as near perfect a project, product as you can get into a market that people aren't necessarily clamoring for than to rush to market and put out something mediocre 
into a market that nobody really wants. You want to do it Apple style, Steve Jobs style. You want to uh, yep. convince people that they want something they never knew they wanted. And the only way to do that is to make it fantastic. If they release a pretty good console, well, there's lots of pretty good consoles out there. And, and nobody will care. Yep. So I think right, this okay. is more this is more of a play because a lot of the Steambox people that are clamoring for it anyway, because, you know, like, I've been on record a couple of times saying that the second this hits the market, I'm buying it. So, but I still have a ginormous gaming rig sitting right here next to me. I'm not, you know, I I slap another graphics card in here and I'm good for another three years probably. So, personally, I'm not in a dire market to buy a new a new console box. I'm going to wait it out because I know eventually it's going to come out. I'm going to love it because it's running the the system that I play all my games in. So it's yeah. just going to be instead of me sitting here bent over my keyboard and mouse on my lower my smaller screen, I'll be in the living room on my giant TV in my easy chair with a beer next to me having a great time with my friends. And of course, being the geek that you are, you could build your own Steam box anytime you wanted to. Exactly. It's it's not that people can't do it already. So and uh, the I I could think the worst thing possible would be for the Steam box to come out and the neckbeards to say, meh, I could have done this better myself. Exactly. And I think that's what they're avoiding. And that's one, like, you know, I don't know how many other people in, in our audience are Steam players with, but you know, they make a Xbox controller that works great in Linux for gaming. So huh. they have to do better than this thing that's, you know, $25 at Walmart. They have to do better than this in order to, make it something that is going to stand out and people are going to want it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to make this the last news story because uh, we've got a lot of stuff to go and we're already hitting the hour mark. Google uh, has decided that for the next version of Chrome, no Java, no Mo. That is right. With... And the one thing I really hate about Softpedia is their keyword things. That if you just mouse over them, boom, this ad. And so, ah, oh, I I hate that. Um, but you know, I understand they need to make money, and uh, everybody's got to make money somehow. But anyway, so now if you get Google Chrome 35, Java is no longer there. You have to like um downgrade to uh 34. Or whatever. And I assume there's some hack you can do to keep it from auto updating, but they are doing, um, their own thing. Uh, AURA. How, how would you say that if you were a Googleite? Aura. Aura. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know yeah. why, but it's just sometimes the words don't make the translation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, you gotta, so they're going decaf. No more Java for you. Um, yeah, and the, and the thing is, it won't install. You know, they have the, what, Ice-T Java plugin is is no longer available once your browser updates to 35. I'm not quite, I can't quite tell by looking at this. Is this Linux only or yeah, it cross-platform? Says it, it says it, 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 uh, at the end of the first paragraph, this is true only for the Linux platform. Okay, there it is. Right, but you know, if it's if it's Linux today, it'll probably be everywhere else tomorrow. So I I can't imagine them maintaining a separate code base. Well, like if that. you want to be used in the enterprise, you got to support Java. Right. Period. End of discussion. Yeah. Um, I, I would not be able to use Chrome at work 
without Java. Well, um, now, you know, hold on. Couldn't they embed Java into Chrome so they're not relying upon external Java sources? Well, that's like what they, they did do. with Flash. When you when you get Chrome, you get their the built-in their own little version, and it sounds like they're making that go away because they don't like it. Well, but I think it's more along the lines that, like in the, the article, it's saying that they're talking about the Ice T Java plugin is not being allowed. So that means the Linux version was calling the Ice T plugin. So yeah. then that makes me wonder: is if instead of relying upon, you know, maybe the 35 is just the break everybody from using Ice-T, and then 36 or a version of 35 will bundle the Java into Chrome like they did with Flash. I mean, it could be. There's new Chrome versions every four or five minutes. So, you know, it, it could be that this version doesn't have it, and the next version in an hour will. Yeah, right. it'll, and it'll probably be their implementation you know, open source, so they're not like actually using Java. So they're using a reverse engineered Java or something. Similar um, to what they did with Flash for Linux. Possibly. All right. Next up, this week in history, June 3rd, 1889. We go back a long way for this one. Yes. Um, you know, I do mostly computer and technology, but I think, you know, if there were no electricity, it'd be kind of hard to have computers. So the first <laughs> long distance electric power transmission line in the United States is completed June 3rd, 1889. It runs 14 miles between Willamita Falls and downtown Portland, Oregon. So without long distance transmission of power, you know, I, I would have no internet at all or lights. Yeah. Um, I, I would be lucky just to have indoor plumbing so you know <laughs> technology is awesome but it is standing on the shoulders of giants so to speak yeah because when when electric power when edison and tesla were in there or westinghouse actually and edison were were in their battle for ac and dc um everything was relatively short a municipality had to have their own generation even generator substations within within the city to be able to to light up their their street lights which is pretty much all that anything ran on back then right um so this was i'm guessing willamita falls was a hydroelectric power plant by the name uh and so this was the first time that power came from somewhere else and you know we were talking earlier about the grid uh people don't realize at least in the u.s how much a grid is if a, if a a serious power disruption happens in new york city um, I will feel it down here in Atlanta, Georgia, because we are a single grid and we shunt power all over the country and it all started right here. Actually, Texas is pretty much independent. We kind of have our own grid because um, we <laughs> rock. <laughs> well, it's you're tied into the, the global grid, though. But yes, uh, Texas could handle themselves um, in, in so many ways. Uh, <laughs> Uh, be, being a Texan, you know, uh, the things, the topic comes up often, what would happen if Texas were secede from the Union? Um, you know, it's uh, Lincoln made that immediate, an immediate declaration of war, but since something like 40% of military rever reserves are in Texas, you know, it wouldn't do a lot of good if we could convince them all to, to come over to our side. So, right. Uh, you know, Texas could be could be a force to be reckoned with if they chose to be. So could California. Yeah. All right. That's, that's I remember the uh, there was an episode of uh, DS uh, 
Sequest DSV, uh, where they went into the future and it was like, uh, they were reading this archive history report talking about how the 39 remaining states, the United States of America refused to allow California back into the union after <laughs> they succeeded. <laughs> I thought it was, uh, I just remember that scene and it is, it's, it was funny kind of then and, uh, it stuck with me all these years later. Man, I had forgotten about that show with good reason. It was totally forgettable. Um, yeah, you know, but yeah, there weren't a lot of uh, science fiction options at that time yeah. that came on network TV. So it was Sequest DSV uh, that yeah. came on either right before or right after Lois was, and Clark. It was trying to be, I think, a modern day retelling of Captain Nemo and the Nautilus, but failing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and somehow when it got boring, they decided to go into space, or not space, but go back in time. Right. Um, all right, enough about that. Let's talk about Linux, particularly Linux learning for my friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com. I'm going to keep it brief tonight because, frankly, I ramble on about these guys too much. Step-by-step videos that will take you from being a Linux novice to a certified Linux professor uh, professor professional um, and that's a grand claim but they can back it up because they've done it before uh, you get your own linux lab with up to eight different uh, distributions for you to choose from that all run in amazon's cloud services you get pdf study guides you get uh, the online forum uh, where the the professors interact with the students and the students interact with each other you get really responsive um, customer service uh, from and and that's not me saying that. That's feedback I've heard from so many other people uh, that are that's telling me that I've never used their their customer service. But uh, I get emails every week from people saying how glad they are that uh, they that we turn them on to Linux Academy because it's high quality stuff and it is high quality. It's been certified high quality uh, by CompTIA. Uh, their stuff is is. Uh, they went uh, through an independent audit. They passed that audit and they are considered uh, high quality content. Um, by an independent source, um, you can if you, you can not after you've taken uh, watched the video and and studied the PDF lesson uh, study guides, you can you can uh, take online quizzes, you can take pra- practice exams. There's even uh, uh, st- uh, practice study uh, exams for the like say the LPIC one certification, for example. You got a a, a mock certification exam, uh, and you get all this for you know for a pittance for uh, you can try it out you can you look in there uh, poke around for 14 days for a buck but once that's done once your 14 days are up uh, you'll automatically convert to a, the monthly plan, plan which where they really stick it to you to the tune of $25 a month for all of this uh, seriously a certification level um uh group of knowledge i'm i'm uh, i'm failing on words i suddenly mean no talk good um <laughs> this this huge library of information for 25 bucks a month but if you if you want to buy in bulk uh, you pay annually ahead of time and you can get that down to 19 dollars a month and you're going to find it uh you're going to find it worthwhile you're going to go in there and you're going to see that you're getting more than 20 dollars a month worth of value for for what you're paying uh, when you go, when you check them out, when you decide to sign up, because I know you're going to, use the code EverydayLinux in the referral box and let them know we sent you there. Yeah. Um, if you want to get into the IT field uh, and you want to be able to get into a segment of the IT field that pays above average 
if you, I mean, if you say the word Linux out loud, people are going to say, Oh my gosh, Linux. Uh, and that'll, that'll get you, you know, nibbles. But then if you know what you're talking about, that'll get you job offers. So, um, if you want to get into IT and you want to learn Linux, man, if you know how to watch a YouTube video, you have all the <laughs> prerequisites required to get maximum benefit from the class. They'll take you from someone who knows how to watch YouTube to a, um, a command line. I don't say they'll make you a godfather, but they'll make you, um, maybe a they'll make you co- command line competent. Well, and at the, least. And the nice thing about it is they do give you all those reference sheets. So if you do fumble a command line, you can go back in those reference sheets and be able to figure out what you did wrong. So yeah, it, it's, it's a silly thing. Just go out, try them. You'll, you'll not regret it. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Try your, your 14 day trial now. Uh, okay, moving right along to the topic of the week, and that that I called this one all good things, and it is actually um, sort of a takeoff of Seth's uh, link of the week last week, where he talked about the final episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was called "All Good Things," as in all good things must come to an end. And we've seen recently good things coming to an end. Most recently, this week, uh, TrueCrypt, the uh, the developers of TrueCrypt, decided to take their code and go home. And, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. There's lots of, there's, we're going to have lots of links, uh, on this in the show notes, but we may not hit all of them. I just want to give a, a summary of what happened. So basically the TrueCrypt developers changed their website to say TrueCrypt is not secure. They changed their code, uh, to, they released, uh, the new Tre- uh, TrueCrypt 7.2, uh, that can no longer uh, encrypt volumes. It can read old volumes, and they say that specifically so that you can transfer your TrueCrypt volumes to something else. And they said, uh, don't call us. We won't call you. They're gone. They're done. They want nothing more to do with it. Um, this uh, raised all kinds of speculation. Was this a hack? Were they taken over? Was Had somebody, um, you know, uh, gotten gained access to their uh, SSL keys? Uh, you know, something like that. There's, there's research that's been done on this, and basically... The, the the zeitgeist of the day, the understanding right now seems to be that they just got tired of it. They've been working on it 10 years and, um, you know, they just, they didn't want to do it anymore. Now, I think they handled it badly. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, but having said all that, the, the source, the code is open. The source is out there. Anybody can take this and fork it, kind of. Here's where, where things get, get a little wonky. They haven't used any of the typical open source licenses the gpl or the the bsd or the apache they use the true crypt license they wrote their own license which is legally nebulous um and that's the problem that's what's stopping people from just taking this code and moving on now as i understand it people are in talks about licensing the code and or maybe totally open sourcing it or, or whatever but there's where you run into it. There's this code that's out there that anybody can access, but it's licensed in such a way that it may not be entirely legal to do so. Yeah. But f- their own words on their website, you go to truecrypt.org right now, it's going to, or at least as of the recording of this show, it's going to um, re- redirect to their SourceForge page, uh, and it'll say 
TrueCrypt is not secure. That's what it says in big words. It's their own things. Warning, using TrueCrypt is not secure, and it may contain unfixed security issues. Basically, what they're saying is we're not going to work on it anymore. If bugs are found, they won't be fixed. Yeah. Okay, but the version that was out there, the 7.1a, is... 20-something months old, I think. Um, so it's almost two years old. Uh, and there haven't been any bugs to be fixed in that amount of time. So it didn't suddenly become immediately uh, hacked just because of that. But they're thinking long-term. Ten years from now, if you're still using the same old source, co- uh, source code, there may be a problem. Right. Okay, so there's my summation of it. Guys, what do you think? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, uh Gee, thanks. Put me under this gun right now. Um, you know, it, it's just, it stinks of something else, you know, that it smells bad. When it's something smells bad, you, you throw it out. But the way they ended this is not the usual way that open source projects go away, which is why, you know, there, there's been this, the, the smell of, or the, the thoughts that people are, you know, that, it, that they got hacked, that their commit access got taken away, that, or got you know subjugated but this is just a very interesting way i almost can't believe that they close their doors in such a way especially after all the money that they raised to get um the 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 system audited um and there's been you know we have links in in our show notes from you know the life hacker and steve gibson's uh take on it so it's it's an interesting spin on this to see and the fact that they're so quiet that there's no news on this other than speculation. Um, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, I had to laugh a little bit when I, when I went, tried to go to TrueCrypt today. Um, yesterday it wasn't flagged, but today when I pull up the site, the Web of Trust plugin for Firefox, barely let me even get to the site because it's Funny. been, it's been so, it's been flagged. Um, malicious uh and possibly suspicious so and see that's 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 what i wanted to talk about okay so this is the thing that set this off this and and uh heartbleed with the open ssl uh and other other things like that in recent years what what is the proper response when an open source project goes away all right so we talked about life after linus what what let's let's extend that out to different things. I don't want to spend all the time on TrueCrypt, but that's just the the impetus. That's what started this. Right. Okay. Now, like you said, they they didn't handle it well. Uh, they they could have done uh, uh, a changing of the license, full on open source. They could have said uh, we don't want to do it anymore. Somebody else take it over. But I think uh, it, it was probably you know this has been our baby for ten years. I don't want anybody else working on it. But you know they kind of they gave that option up when they open sourced the code. People will take this, they will use it, mm-hmm. legal or not. It's going to be used in other things and unless they're willing to sue, it's going to happen and I think if they were so fed up that they don't even work on it anymore, they're not going to have the energy to sue. So I really think that that's a non-issue and and maybe let's say their their keys did get hacked. Somebody will generate new keys. And you'll copy your your volumes over to new things, and you'll start over again. And it'll be, it's TrueCrypt is going to live on in some form or another. Yeah. I have no doubt about that. But what do you do? And and the answer seems to be: if you're the internet of 2014, you pitch a freaking hissy fit about it. And you, <laughs> I mean, I saw a a, a guy. I'm not going to mention his name, but it's it's a guy who uh, has some notoriety and 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 whose circles I have run in the past. Um, posted uh, a blog post 
listing all of his previous blog posts referencing TrueCrypt, saying all of these are now no longer valid. All of the 50-plus things that I have written in the past are all garbage. Ignore them all. And that's that's as bad a behavior as the TrueCrypt guys, because it's simply not true. Yeah. TrueCrypt as it exists in 7.1a is still solid. It's still good. It's still usable. You should continue to use it. It's still the best whole drive encryption system available today, free or paid. And and let's stop being the internet. Let's stop being stupid for just long enough to realize that. Let's have a little common sense, which is apparently pretty hard to find in 2014 on the internet. Yeah. Stop flagging it, web of trust. The website, there's nothing malicious about that web page. It's plain old HTML. There's not even any scripting on it. See, and, you know, the, the thing... Sorry, f- sorry for the rant. Apparently, I just stepped <laughs> onto my soapbox and didn't even know That's it. all right. You know... Yeah, well, the, and the thing is, you know, Mark, I mean, come on. It's the internet. We're not going to be rational on here. Um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the great strengths of the internet is it capitalizes on the weakness of human character. Since I'm not standing and somebody's not looking me in the face right here in front of me, I don't have to have any filter on anything I say and all the things I would think when they're standing there, I'm going to just puke all over the internet. And uh, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to be rational. It's just, you know, I want my bottle. Um, you know, you, I'm willing to have any serious discussion you want to, as long as we limit it to 140 characters or less, because I'm not going to take the time to read anymore. Um, yeah. You know, if, Basically, the way they made the TrueCrypt thing is, hey, we got tired of insecure XP drives, and so we came up with a way to encrypt them. Guess what? Microsoft doesn't support XP anymore. They have an, an encrypting solution. Go use it. Um, but yeah, there's already an effort to fork it that is uh, based in Switzerland because one of the um, things running around the internet is that they were forced to close their doors by something such as the United States of America. Um, you know, maybe the NSA got mad that there was something out there they couldn't break, and so they're making them shut their doors. Which is uh, stupid because the NSA uses it. It is well known to be uh, mm-hmm. the darling of the DOD. Yep. Right. So maybe they purchased it or something and, yeah. you know, or said, but anyway, that, that one of the, one of the, the conspiracy theories out there is that some force, uh, and, and that's what it said, some force such as the, the U.S. government has done it. And, you know, and of course they also pointed out that, you know, the, there's no way the U.S. government has done everything the internet's blamed them for. Exactly. So, but, uh, you know, um, but yeah, so, they maybe something happened and they just kind of were told to let go but i don't like how it ended but i mean something like this is going to happen with every project right. and the bad so let's thing tie of- this into to heartbleed open ssl okay right? so open ssl had a bad flaw that was fixed almost immediately after it was discovered the problem was it took it a long time to be discovered so you know let's put this in context heart uh, heartbleed was an old bug that was fixed immediately. And and I know that sounds con, uh, uh, con, sounds weird to say, but that's exactly what it was. It's a mm-hmm. bug that had been around a long time, but as soon as it was made known, it was fixed immediately. The problem is it's it's embedded in stuff that's not easy to upgrade. 
Um, and it's that embedding that I wanted to talk about. The web, the world runs on open source, it does. whether we like to think about it or not. It's everywhere. Uh, every router, uh, you know, that Belkin has sold in the last ten years has some open source stuff in it, including OpenSSL. Every everything you know that you touch in your home, your your phone, be it Android or iOS. Uh, iOS is is quote unquote proprietary, but there's a lot of open source in there, or your Windows Phone, or even your BlackBerry. There's tons of stuff in there. Open source is all over the place. The world depends on it, and because it's open, because you nobody pays for it, because there's not a board of directors, crap like this can happen. Uh, pedantic nut jobs can just decide that they want whatever you know, they can take their code and go home they can trash it or or you know somebody can um can hack in and 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 ruin it all all these things happen and I'm not saying that corporatizing would fix all these things, but at least there would be an accountable party. We don't even know the people who wrote TrueCrypt. We know one of the guys goes by the name David. That's all we know. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's dangerous and silly to depend so much on such in unknown entities. And that's what the lesson we need to take from this. Not that TrueCrypt is suddenly insecure. Not that the the internet is full of idiots. We all knew that. The lesson we need to take from this is that without accountability, there's no guarantee of of anything. And and the TrueCrypt guys are completely unaccountable for this. And that's fine. I, I don't begrudge them that. But it opens up a gaping hole. Same with the OpenSSL. This is a this is a project largely run by one guy. As are so many things. Yeah. Um, you know, your favorite Linux distro or whatever it may be is probably run by, you know, 10 guys or less when you get down to it. Uh, and and if you're depending on it, if you're building your enterprise servers on something, if you're putting it into to all of your handheld devices, if you're Google, you and the fact that there's nobody, there's no accountability, there's no board of directors, there's no nobody, there's no nothing it's it this is should be a wake up call people if you like something if it's useful to you if true crypt is good and you want true crypt freaking pay for it let's hold these guys accountable with our wallets it's the fact that we demand everything for free that has gotten us in this mess that we're in yeah yeah and that was um you know linux the linux foundation well right after heartbleed they started the core infrastructure initiative and basically and I couldn't find the quote. I wish I would remember it. But basically, people are using, they're basing their entire business model, their livelihood, their profits on something that is run by a developer on the spare time on his weekend. And so it's like, if you're going to use these things, you need to pay for them. And one of the first things that the core infrastructure initiative is doing is it's funding open SSL and open SSH. They are funding open SSL, um, by, assigning two developers to work on it full time and paying their salary. So they have like quadrupled the amount yes. of developers uh who now work on open SSL. And this is just the first thing they did. They kind of took an overview of like what are the open source projects out there, what have the biggest impact and where gets the best bang for our buck. And it's like um open SSL needs some help. And so they're paying the salary of two developers to work on it. Again, that's not somebody who, you know, in between marathon halo sessions, uh, whenever they get off the pot from drinking too much soda, works on it every other weekend. This is their job. If they want a paycheck, they have to work and fix these program, these 
these things. They're not closing it. Anybody can still look at it and contribute, but now you have full-time competent people continuously working on it and they don't have to relearn everything that's happened since two months ago, the last time they looked at it. So, you know, what you're talking about is being addressed by the Linux foundation and, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pay for anything. I want everything. I want a free laptop. I want free internet. I want free content, you know? Um, but somewhere somebody's got to get some money off of it. Uh, otherwise it's not going to be there. Um, it's just not going to happen. You know, somebody's got to make this laptop and I don't think everybody's going to start working for free out of the, the kindness of their own heart. I put the line in the notes when I was putting this together that free beer will be the death of free speech. We often talk about freeness, openness yep. in those terms. Free is in beer and free is in speech. If everybody t- persists in demanding free beer, there will be nothing buttressing free speech anymore. And and people, they, they want everything to be cost-free, but... Uh, at the expense of openness and that's what we see here in true crypt uh here's this thing that is open and that's that's the only thing that's going to save it it's the openness that's going to save it but these but everybody that uses it um not everybody i want to i don't want to paint with that big a brush but so many people that use it wouldn't use it if they uh if they had to pay for it, or in fact only are using it because it's free um yeah. you know prior to bitlocker there wasn't anything else that you could get for free there are other things out there but the freeness of it, the free beer of it, is what made it popular. But it's also what may kill the free speech of it. And and this has, has made me realize that I am a leech on the Internet and on, on technology in general. I give back almost nothing, and I demand everything. I was whining you know, uh, not too long ago that I can't get a free phone service that does everything I want to do. Um, and then it, this, as I was uh, preparing for this show, I realized what a, not just a hypocrite, but what an idiot I am. If I want something, I have got to step up and pay for it. Or there is, you know, it's, it, it dovetails into the show we did a few weeks ago about when do you have a right to complain? I have no right to complain because I haven't done a dang thing. I haven't put anything in it. I don't have any uh, skin in the game and it's my own fault. And if my favorite project goes away because I was too stingy too lazy too stupid to pay for it that's my own dang fault well said mark well said yeah i totally agree with it and i'm i'm like you i'm i'm a humongous leech it's uh you know i i quit using download.com because they bundled their products with a downloader that like prompts you to uh install some crap along with it um you know in uh listening to security now they jumped on Foxit uh, PDF reader because it bundled when you installed it, if you didn't read and you just click next, 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 it, uh, it installed something, you know, you know, click here for free crap. Uh, and you know, but the thing is because of that show, I went, wait a minute, I just installed this and I, and so I went back and I reinstalled it, you know, with the fresh download. I was like, no, it doesn't. You just have to read. You can't just click. But they were bemoaning the fact that, oh, my God. And, you know, I'm right there. I do the exact same thing. I don't want to have to unclick the Ask toolbar every time I install Oracle Java. Every time that Flash wants to upgrade, it can't just upgrade. I have to download a new version that takes me. And do you want to install McAfee uh 
you know, <laughs> click, click cause you're stupid button, you know, and you got to wait for that page to fully load so that you can uncheck the yes, I want my system jacked up by anything from McAfee said the former McAfee employee. Um, before you do that, you know, but again, I'm not paying for it, but I dang sure use it. And I'm mad when they make it harder for me to use the thing for free. Uh, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't know. I know I need to contribute, but I don't just want to throw money. I want my money to go somewhere. Something like maybe the uh, core infrastructure initiative from the Linux foundation. That seems like something I might want to look into contributing to somehow. You know, I don't know. You know, d- does the five dollar PayPal contribution once give me unlimited griping? Well, that's the thing. You can't just do it once and feel good about it. Yeah, right. That has to be something. It has to cost you something before you're going to care about it. Um, and so many things in our lives cost us nothing, and therefore we don't care about them. Well, yep. you, you really can't say much more than that. Um, I just think it's interesting, though, that. You know the, the oh I can <laughs> I'm and sure we will you can, don't worry Mark um, but I know for me personally it's going to fall on deaf ears because I am one of those guys that if I like a project I back it um, we were talking pre-show about Plex um, I've purchased it I've purchased numerous copies of the the Android app and then I purchased a the a, a, the lifetime model so I'm in it. For the win- for the long term, um, I, I I love the software enough that I'm going to keep paying for it if I need to. Um, some of these things like TrueCrypt, I think what makes everyone so, I guess, angry is a it was a free service that just disappeared, but I think a lot of people when they did their crowdsourcing to have it. Um, to have it gone through and, and ratified, or not ratified, um, audited, audited, nothing was really said about it. I mean, they pay, people paid out the nose for that auditing, uh, for the, in that, for that model. And now with not even a, you know, we had a preliminary re- report, what, a month ago, two months ago, and now yeah. they shut the doors. So where did all that money go? Where did, uh, it, but is, you know what I'm saying? Well, See, that's the, a whole different project, and that project yeah. is still going on, and they're still auditing the code. Yeah, because that money didn't go to TrueCrypt. That was another group that said, "Hey, we want to audit TrueCrypt." But my point, so, though, uh, it what that wasn't started by TrueCrypt. That was started by another group, and yeah, that was going to be one of the stories in the news. Was that this? Uh, they're still going on with their. Because basically their audit was, uh, there's no back doors in the software. Now we're going to test all the random number generators and see if they're using good, solid, approved random number generators and not ones that have been discounted for being weak. Um, and they are, they're still planning to do that based on the 7.1, uh, software that's still out there and still accessible. So, but that's my point though. Was the reason that they shut the doors because their code was getting audited? I mean, no one's brought well, that up. That could actually, be- and that has been addressed. And and David, the if that is his real name, the has 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 tweeted, uh, "We're not unhappy about the audit, and it doesn't have have anything to do with us closing it down." So that they were looking forward to the audit. They they were, um, you know, they wrote good code, and they wanted people to uh, to audit that code. So I I don't think, and and based on 
actual input from a guy claiming to be one of the developers. We, there's really no way you can know that for sure. Uh, I don't think that had anything to do with it. They weren't scared of the audit. Well, right, but we have no proof of it because the because yeah. a the developers did not say anything. You know, when did you actually read anything from a notified and and ratified developer? Almost well, there zero. aren't any. They're all anonymous. Yeah, exactly. They're anonymous developers. And so because of that, how do we know that that package that's on their SourceForge site, that 7.2, or, or, and because it's, you know, it is signed by their keys, but the simple fact that, you know, maybe they were a victim of Heartbleed and had their entire project compromised. You know, that is a valid option that could have happened. Because obviously, there's been a bunch of stuff happening, you know, with the, the Heartbleed. And then how many other projects have we, you know, in the news recently have had, you know, monstrous things taken over? So it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is a compromising. Yeah, but, okay, let, let me address that. If this, if their site is compromised, the compromiser wouldn't want you to stop using it. They would want to encourage you to continue to use it. And I would think if the developers um, put this up because they found their site was compromised, they would say that's why. But what they said is we're not fixing any future bugs. So I, it, your your logic doesn't fly there for me. If if uh, if I'm going to compromise TrueCrypt, I'm going to keep that a secret because the fewer people that know about it, the better. Right. Yeah. And if I was a developer and something like that got hacked. I would say, uh, excuse me, that's not us. And here's the, here's the proof that I am a developer because, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. But there, there hasn't been any of that. So, you know, in order for your theory to hold true, somebody found the developers, killed them, and then took over their site. Which, I mean, if you wanted to be super crazy, I guess you could say that was possible. <laughs> well, the NSA could do that. Yeah. Right. The government could do that. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think so. But it's just a simple point that, you know, we rely too much on, on open source software without right. donating anything. And, and, and this is going to happen again. Maybe not in this thing, but maybe, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe LibreOffice. Um, um, okay. Well, I, I don't think a whole lot of people would care. I mean, some would, but there's there's enough options out there. I'm trying to think of a good backbones thing. Um, 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 the the what's the Apache? Uh, what if Apache? Yeah, yeah. There, okay, there's a good one. Or I was thinking, what's the media encoder that everything FFmpeg? Yeah, FFmpeg. What if FFmpeg just went away and and just trashed everything um, and poisoned their repository, salted the wells, as it were? Um, you know, there's. It's, wow. it's infrastructure. There's so many things that depend on it, including, you know, YouTube. Uh, I'm sure down in the bowels of their system, uh, everything you uploaded runs through an iteration of FFmpeg. I would, I would bet money on that. Um, and so there's so many things that could, that could just dry up and go away. Now, the fact that they're open, um, prevents that because people, again, like I said about TrueCrypt, they can take it and they can continue it. Legalities be damned. They're, they're going to do it if it's something they care about. Uh, Apache too. The, the Apache Foundation, uh, takes it and runs with it, uh, runs away with it. You know, somebody else is going to fork that code into Comanche and, 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 and it's going to keep going. So that the openness saves us on that. But, it, there's there's always ripples about that. There's always downstream effects, and the fact that you know, like like FFmpeg is a good example. We don't know who runs that. We don't know who does that. My guess is it's a guy 
in his basement in his spare time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a big team, but but those those things are so super important, and we don't know that they are. Yeah, I mean, also, yeah. you know, if we're going to call projects that are on the table like that, you know, there's also not only FFmpeg, but what about the ice the the ice teeth version of Java? You know, how many things are running that that we don't know? Because you know the, of the licensing that Oracle has on Java, you know, we could be down one heck of a rabbit hole if we, you know, lost you know our the open source version of Java. Yeah. The wine project. So many things depend on wine in Linux because we're living in a Windows world, whether we like it or not. You know, that's another thing where if they just went away and said, we're not going to work on anything else, everything that continually uh, currently works will, but we're not going to port anything else. We're not going to test anything else. We're not going to build any more APIs. Go suck an egg. That would be that would be a big uh, impact. And be crippling. Have I ever thrown any money at wine? No, not once. Never. I have. Good for you. Yeah. Like I said, I pay for the projects that I use. You know, it may not be a lot. It may be $5. It may be $10. It may be $100. But I usually try to throw something at the developers just in to support them. You know, there's so many of those developers that do it full time. And if they can't eat, they don't, they don't make code no more. So, um, I, I try to make it my personal thing of even if it's only five bucks, I send them something. All right, I'm gonna. I'm doing this on the spur of the moment, but I'm gonna make a pledge right now that 10% of everything that comes into this show, from from ad revenue or donations or Amazon Prime, I'm gonna donate to back to open source, back to the projects that make this show run. Awesome. I, I just decided that right now. Um, it's it's stewardship. It's what I should have been doing all along. And that's awesome. I, I think more people should be doing that. Um, even if it's like I said, a five dollar donation, but not just a one time donation. I think it'd be awesome if it was a once a year on your birthday or something. Say, go. hey, I am taking fifty dollars every birthday and giving some of it to every open source project that I'm using. The Mozilla, the Mozilla Foundation, Wine, you know, PF Sense, you know, all of the stuff that I use in my house. I try to throw something at them. And while we've been talking, I just down donated $25 to the core infrastructure initiative sponsored by the Linux Foundation that, you know, they that's the consortium they formed to go after all these open source projects and fund them and support them. Good for you. Good for you, Seth. I applaud you. And if I ever have a chance to sit down with either one of you, I will buy you guys a beer. Yeah. And and again, (laughs) this... We're not doing this, audience, hear this. I know Chris knows this. We're not doing this to get in in your good graces and say what good people were. I have been convicted as a result of the events this week and in recent weeks that I am part of the problem, and I don't want to be part of the problem anymore. And I would bet most of you listening to to the sound of my voice right now are also part of the problem, and I challenge you to stop being part of the problem. Yeah, that's why I did it, because I've realized that uh, you know, yeah, you can either be part of the problem or you can contribute to the, so the, you can contribute to the problem or you can contribute to the solution. It's really pretty impossible to do neither. Yeah. Amen, brothers. That's all I got to say is, you know, and not, not only just your, your open source projects. And I hate to, to 
sound like a pimp, but you know, even if you send a dollar to us, you know that ten percent of that is going to go to another open source project. Just a thought. I, you know, and maybe other people who who do this sort of thing feel like I do. Anytime we talk about money coming to me, I feel dirty. I always, I, and I sh- I gotta get over that. You know, when I was a small business owner, I had that same problem. I I never felt comfortable charging people. I I in that way, I hate charging people for money. I just like <laughs> you know. Um, and actually, a friend of mine has uh, he just finished his chemo for cancer, and he owns a business and. I mean, he's not a multimillionaire or anything, but you know, he can afford nice vehicles and stuff. But I just decided, Hey, you're going through chemo. This one's on me because I didn't want to bill him. Uh, and again, you know, I, I'm the same way. I, I don't like to, I don't like to take people's money, which so. is why I'm a terrible businessman. You know the, yeah. It, me it, too. It's funny guys. Cause I was that way about three years ago and I changed my tune when my wife's boss beat me over the head one day and said, why are you charging so little? Your time is worth 10 times what you just charged me. Here, here's actually what you should have gotten. Now, follow suit. So, you know, it it, it takes one of those moments from a guy that, you know, you respect and who is a small business owner to slap you around a little bit with some, you know, even if it is just a little bit of money, to make you realize that, oh, I am being silly. My time is worth yeah. something. My time is worth a lot more than I seem to think. And ever since then, I don't quite feel as bad. I, that little part of me is going, oh, I, I really hate issuing bills. <laughs> but yep. it's, it's a whole lot better to issue a bill than to pay one. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. You were gonna say you you had a word right there in your tongue and you uh, swallowed. Yes, it. I'm gonna swallow it because I'm gonna wait till the till the end of the show because I gotta get something in there for my links. I gotta find it really okay. quick. Okay, I, I think this this diatribe has wound down a little bit. Um, the again, we had news, we had stuff to talk about, but it was the core issue I wanted to get at the 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 fact that everything you love will come to an end someday. This is a reality. And we don't have any control over that, but we can control maybe a little bit about how it ends, maybe a little bit about how long it goes on. You know, I, I'm, I'm a fat guy. I'm trying to be less fat because I want my end to come later, um, you know, and, and I don't want wine to go away. So I need to do something about it. And the same discipline I put into to exercise and, and, and eating healthy, I need to put into these open source projects that I use every day. I, I use Linux every day of my life now. Um, that hasn't been true in the past, but it is now. Uh, I used, even when I wasn't using Linux, I was using other open source stuff, Windows versions of open source software every day. I use Pigeon every day of my life. I've never thrown them a dime. Um, I need to... I need to change that. Uh, this is this is a, a man in the mirror moment. I'm I'm looking at the man in the mirror and telling him it's time to make a change, Michael Jackson, um, and and it's uh, <laughs> thank you for dancing, Seth. Uh, and and I I I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to tell you, the listener, that you are a scumbag and you need to be donating. But you know if if what I'm saying about myself describes you, then suck it up and do something about it. Well, and you know, we, we get, 
how many letters a week do we get saying to keep it coming, keep it up? But if we don't have the money to keep yeah. it up, how the letters do we outnumber do it? the the donations by ten to one. Yeah, well, that's normal. Yeah. I, and I mean, I don't feel bad, listeners, that that you think that, but you know that that is that is actually probably better than the norm in, in most projects. So, you know, not not to make you guys feel bad, but let's change that. Let's flip that on its head. Let's make the donations outrate the feedback. That would yeah. be amazing. And again, just you know, Chris isn't necessarily saying the donations to us, but the donations to these people who make our lives better on a daily basis. And this is one of those, you know, we've talked about it some on the show and off air. There's an awesome phenomenon sweeping the nation, especially suburban American people, um, called slacktivism. I'm going to post this link, so therefore I've done something right. and I can pat myself on the back and feel good. Well, you know, everybody likes a little publicity talking to, you know, hey, I use, um, you know, I've used TrueCrypt and I think they're awesome. Way to go, TrueCrypt guys. I mean, that's great that you did that, but that doesn't help anything. Um, you know, um, you know, we're a little different. We're a podcast. As we want people to listen, so posting a link, hey, I like the Element OP guys, uh, you know, that's great. You know, again, we're not saying give us money, but if you want to, we'll take it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, if you like, you know, if you build web servers, you know, if you have a web page and you built it with Apache, you know, saying, hey, I use Apache for my website and I think they're the best, that's great, but that doesn't do anything because it takes money and resources to develop and maintain that code base. Go to their website, give them five bucks, you know, uh, something. Uh, if everybody did a little, nobody would have to do a lot. If everybody gave five bucks, if everybody who uses the Internet in America gave five bucks, do you realize that would be a wad of freaking cash? You know, yeah. you're talking in, in excess of half a billion dollars from one and look time. what happened... And look what happened to the Reading Rainbow. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a prime example of what happens if you know a couple hundred thousand people give five bucks. Yeah, and so now they're talking about not just bringing it back, but they're talking about footing the cost for licensing to give it to schools for free. So, you know, it's not just that, hey, we're doing it now. It's like so much money has came in that we can make it free to schools because, you know, especially in today's society, people don't read. And he makes the point that this is the first time in the history of this country where the generation that's coming out is less educated than the one before it. Um, you know, so we need stuff like Reading Rainbow. Okay, this discussion could go on forever and, and rightly so, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it to an end. Um, and, and say, I, we want to hear what you think. I, I say that every week, but I really do on this one. Am I, am I off my uh, rocking chair on this one? Have I, have I stepped over the line? Have I pissed you off? Uh, let me know. Do you agree with me? Let me know. I want to know what you think about this. And I want to know, I want to take the temperature of this audience and, and see wh what you guys feel about it. You know, are you the tightwads that I think you are or, um, or not, and you know, and again, my first show in the uh, uh, ever was called the Tightwad Tech. I I personify that mentality, uh, so I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about you that I don't say about myself on a regular basis. So, um, what do you think? Let me know. Um, 
And you can do that, again, over at elementopi.com. Uh, use the Contact Us button. Send us an email, edl at elementopi.com. Or if you want your voice to be on the air, uh, call 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail on Google Voice and do that. So now, uh, on to the Dev Random of the Week. And this time, we have one from both Chris and Seth. So we'll start with you, Chris. Sure. Um, this is what I was, I was, I've been meaning to put up here, and it's more along a, a public service announcement more than anything else. Um, my wife is on the board for this particular foundation, <clears throat> and it's it was a um, dying wish of a, a fellow Taekwondo artist of ours. Um, he was in a tragic accident. He passed away, um, and he actually laid the groundwork for getting a skate park in our hometown, in my hometown, um, and so his friends and family took up the call and actually have put forth the effort and we're starting um, groundbreaking this week. This week. Um, they've already started laying forms and, and digging the holes for all the skate park stuff. Um, here's a foundation in an area that, you know, doesn't really get a lot of, of notice, you know, skate parks. At least in my neck of the area, there's like three skate parks in the whole state of Montana that I know of that were professionally built. Um, and this is going to be one of them. Uh, so here's an idea that if, if you're looking for a, a donation place, a 501C, here's a great place to throw a little bit of money at. They have actually gotten enough money to do their first, their, uh, their what do they call it? Their, I can't think of the name of it now, stage one of the project done, um, which is a large, basically a large concrete, concrete field for the skateboarders to be at so they're not playing in traffic. Uh, they're almost to the point where they have enough to also finish it with stage two. So I know a lot of you guys probably aren't anywhere near Montana, but if you're looking for a place to throw a couple of bucks, I know they would gladly take it. Um, they're doing a drive right now. They are uh, the Dreamland Skate Parks is the guys who are, are helping with all the phasing and all of the building of the project. So... Um, Take a couple seconds. Go look at the uh, of what they're doing, and just be kind of amazed that this is going into a, a place that has, you know, I think we have a population of maybe four thousand people. It's pretty bloody amazing that they're doing this. Um, it's taken seven years for it to happen since his death, but go to at least take a look. You know, maybe throw a dollar in their PayPal. I, I would appreciate it from me to you. I would definitely say thank you. Just donated in the name of Everyday Linux while you were talking. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Cool. Seth, what do you got for us this week? Okay. Well, um, we've been so serious, I wanted to end on a lighter note. Um, I am calling this one, How Far Down the Rabbit Hole Do You Want to Go? Uh, if you click on this link, it will take you to the TommyWestfall.wordpress.com. I don't know if you've ever heard of a show called St. Elmo's Fire, but it was a um, it was like a, a, a hospital show that went off the air, and the very last scene is this autistic boy looking at a globe of the hospital, and so the you're left with thinking that the entire show was a figment of his imagination. Well, they've gone through and they have figured out how many shows are tied in to this guy's or to this boy's imagination. And, uh, for example, um, some characters from St. Elsewhere, I'm sorry, St. Elsewhere is the name of the show. Uh, St. Elsewhere visited Cheers Bar. And then some characters from Cheers went to uh, the Wings Airport. 
um, Cheers spun off uh, a series called Frasier. And the John Larroquette shows, John Hemingway called into Fraser's show. So all of those shows link back to this autistic kid's mind in the snow globe. And they go as far back in time as I Love Lucy. They're able to link it in there. And they even link in Red Dwarf. Uh, and they're, <laughs> they're able to get um, Angel the series and space 1999 which if you want to watch some awesome science fiction from the 70s space 1999 will do that um but anyway uh it, it's just it's very funny and kind of uh you know you have to think when you read this so unfortunately this isn't just a youtube video that you can play and laugh out loud and but um they tie in some pretty cool stuff so I thought it was kind of funny, so I wanted to share. Reminds me of the unified theory of Pixar movies. Have yes. you ever read that yes. one? It's awesome. Um, that one is spooky. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you go back and watch them in the order they suggest, your mind just kind of goes... <laughs> yeah. Um, did you know, and I know because I've seen it 7,000 times, that um, um, Rapunzel shows up in a cameo in yep. uh, Frozen? Um so the 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 universe continuity continues. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if that some maybe some high up in Pixar did that is doing that on purpose. Could be. Now, you know, now that this theory has come out, now they're trying to make it fit. It could be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, R2D2 and C3PO are in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, mm-hmm. um <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no. There's in one of the hieroglyphic scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're they're there they're in that and uh, so you know it's kind of funny but okay that that's enough random trivia no it's not you can never get enough random trivia uh, and uh, we invite you to come back next week for more random trivia but I'm gonna call it for this week Chris Seth as always thanks for being the awesome host that you are you the listener uh, thanks for putting up with yet another rant heavy show Kevin I know you'll be happy with this one uh, so uh, we'll see you all next week and that ends this episode of Everyday. <laughs>